Our scripture reading this morning will be Romans 2, 8 and 9. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, of the Greek, you may be seated. Keep your mind focused there for a moment on today's Bible reading. How it ends of the Jew first and also to the Greek right there where you'll see. It's interesting to me that the gospel plan of salvation that Jesus would speak about, Paul would preach about through the inspiration of God, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God is giving both uh, ideas in that concept that, that both salvation and punishment is offered to those who are either obedient or disobedient. Did you know in the King James Version of the Bible, some 171 times, the word grace is translated there? And as a majority rule, that grace is the grace that's extended toward you and me to be obedient unto Him Toward salvation. Some 261 times is the word mercy used. Notice it's not judgment. It's not deserving, but it is, it is mercy. Is that, that that is extended to me from God, that instead of what I deserve, He gives me what I need. Forgiveness in some form, whether it be forgive or forgiving or forgiveness, it's 141 times throughout the entirety of the Bible. It is often that we refuse to use these words because they have somewhat been hijacked. Sometimes we hear the words grace and mercy and it makes our skin crawl a little bit. We don't like to use those words because of the connotation it has in 2020. When we decide not to use those words in speaking of salvation, we often overemphasize, overemphasize work. As if there's anything I can do to earn Salvation. If I do just enough in just what God says, then I have him sort of over a barrel where he's obligated to. Oh my. When we take any of those concepts out of the salvation of man first, we torture ourselves because we don't really know how to put those concepts together. And secondly, we've cheapened God's plan of salvation. It is by his grace... And His mercy that we are saved. It is by the forgiveness of our sin that we are saved. And also, it is necessary that you and I have to do something. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 2. And we're going to read for a moment and see if we can come up with some, some truths. Uh, as Paul, underneath the 
inspiration of God would write these things. And to you he hath made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. And so he's speaking to us who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus the Christ. Those who were dead, who have now been made alive. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's where you were. Among whom we also had our conversations in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were there too. As he would say in verse number 3. And there's an interesting place you and I need to stop here in verse number 3. Because before we move too far forward, we need to understand this phrase, were by nature the children of wrath. It, it very scarily sounds like this is something that you and I could not help. That we would be lost from the very conception of our being. Let's see, today here in our assembly, we have 8,000 people. For you watching online, that's a preacher count. We have more of about 150. And out of this group, how many of you can tie your shoes? How many, well, how many of you cannot? All right, because some of y'all did not vote. How many of you can tie your shoes? What if we were to turn the lights off? Could you still tie your shoes then? Sure. If, if you didn't vote either time, and, and I'm assuming by that you can't tie your shoes, if you'll come up here afterward, I'll, I'll show you how it's really easy. We can do those things because they're second nature to us. I don't know how long I've been tying my shoes. A, a long time. I don't know how long I've tied my shoes in the dark. A long time. Those are things we do by second nature. These are things that are just, we do so many times, they're just commonplace to us. As a matter of fact, he would say in verse 3, we're children of wrath by second nature. We have been doing these wrathful things and these sinful things for so long. It's just kind of what we do. Verse number 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he hath loved us, even when we were dead to sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Parentheses, by grace are you saved. Notice that phrase. When we were dead in sin, we were made alive in Christ through grace. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the age to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now here's where we generally go, right? This is the one we know. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that you were being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are now called uncircumcision by, the, by those that are called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, at that time ye were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. As you and I read through that section of Scripture and we understand who he's talking to, why he's saying those things, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is a man saved by grace? Well, here in, the, in those 12 verses, it tells us twice that man is saved by grace. Is man saved by faith? Yes. As a matter of fact, the faith in Jesus Christ and the faith in God Himself, man is saved through that. You and I can read uh, several places, and one that pops into my mind is Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abel. By faith, by faith, by faith. Man is saved by faith, yes. Is man saved by mercy? Absolutely. When God does not give me what I deserve, but rather when he extends to me mercy, he's saving me. Is a man saved by works? Yes. Notice all of these questions. None of them say this, is a man saved by grace alone, faith alone, mercy alone, works alone. None of those things alone will save man, but it is the totality of those things. Grace and mercy is the action of God toward mine and toward your salvation. Without grace, there is no salvation. Without mercy... There is no salvation. That blood sacrifice that was made is the work of Jesus the Christ toward your salvation, toward my salvation. Without that blood, there, there is no salvation. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The knowledge of these things, the knowledge of these things is a work of the Holy Ghost Holy Spirit toward our salvation. Imagine if you could, God's grace and mercy being extended to man, the blood sacrifice of Jesus the Christ being poured out on that hill outside of Jerusalem, and you and I don't have any idea that it ever happened. For without this book, we don't know. But the knowledge of that is the Spirit's work toward my salvation and your salvation. If the Father has a job that has already been done, if the Son has a job that has already been done, if the Spirit has a job that has already been done toward my salvation, a couple of quick questions. One, why would I think I don't have anything to do? And secondly, my duty would be very important for my salvation, wouldn't it? Look at Acts chapter number 2. In Acts chapter number 2, verse number 37, that group says to Peter there, what must we do? Notice how they ask that. What must we do? Peter replied and said, you don't have to do anything. You go on home. Jesus has made the sacrifice. God's given his grace and his mercy. Spirit told you about it. You don't have to do anything, right? No, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter told them, repent and be baptized. And obtain the mercy and grace given by God. Attain the sacrifice given by Jesus the Christ that you have been made known of by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, as Philip joins himself to that eunuch, 
and he begins to teach unto him Jesus. And, and as they go by that water and they stop, and that, that eunuch says, See, there's some water. I'm glad I'm already saved. Wait a minute. Didn't he say he had to do something? Notice what happens. He said, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? He said, well, if you believe, you can. And that eunuch would say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they got out of the chariot, both Philip and the eunuch. And Philip baptized the eunuch. They both went down into the water. He baptized him. They came back up. He got on his chariot, headed off to uh, North Africa. And Philip headed off to somewhere else. I wish I knew right now. I can't remember. In Acts chapter 9, notice as Saul of Tarsus is on the road to Damascus. As he is knocked off that horse, as Jesus is speaking to him, he said, you go into the house of Simon the Tanner here, and it will be told thee what thou must do. That preacher comes by and says, you're going to have to be obedient. Acts chapter 16, that great earthquake that happens, Paul and Silas are there in prison. After that earthquake happens, the, the uh, jailer was ready to, to stab himself. When Philip and Silas said, stop, don't do that, he comes in, kneels down before them and says, sirs, what must I do? By the way, if you'll read a little closer in there, you'll find out he was trembling as this happens because now he's face to face with what he, he is going to have to do. They said, be baptized, repent and be baptized. Acts chapter 22, Paul is in front of uh, Felix. He tells him what he did to become a Christian. In chapter 26, he's in front of Agrippa. He told him what he did to become a Christian. It's necessary that we understand we have to do something. But it's also necessary to understand this. Grace and mercy are a vital part. Vital. Without it, you can't have it. The blood of Jesus Christ, vital part. Without that, you can't have salvation. The knowledge of those things, vital part. And so we find ourselves hearing this from time to time. And, and actually, I heard it last week from one of our elders during the, the morning service, and, and it clicked with me. We cannot work ourselves to heaven. Amen, that's a great statement. I believe that with everything that I have. Here's what clicked with me. Yeah, but I can work myself to hell, can't I? Mm-hmm. When I understand that it's not works that save me, it can be works that condemn me. And that's a whole different ball game now, isn't it? If I'm working against God and against the blood sacrifice of Jesus the Christ and against God's Word, there, there's not enough grace and mercy and blood and knowledge to help me. If I am sentenced to hell at the end of this life, it will be because of my own actions. It will be because of what I have chosen to do. Notice this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. As I begin to look and understand what I need to avoid, how I need to run away from things that would send me into a place known as hell that I do not want to go, nor do I want to be. I find out that the very first people are people who are not obedient. And actually, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 
excuse me, verses 7, 8, and 9, it would say, for those that know not God and those that obey not his word. Let's start with the latter and move our way back. First, those that are not obedient. Those who have had opportunity to hear and simply just decline those things. There will be people who do that. Jesus would say, as he's speaking about those four soils, there was a rocky soil, a thorny soil, a good soil, and there was that wayside soil. And, and some of the plants would grow up and others would not. And you know what we found out about those soils? Three out of the four of them didn't produce. Three out of the four of them were agriculturally not good soils. Does that mean Jesus would say that three out of four people won't obey the gospel? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But it is a, a shocking reminder to us that there will be people who hear it, see it, and even understand it and believe it and, and not do anything with it. John chapter four, uh, 12 and verse number 42 and 43, there were those of the synagogue there, or of the temple rather there, who knew who Jesus was and believed him. And yet, because they didn't want to be thrown out of the temple, they didn't do anything with him. So those, those that obey not God. But there is a, another group of people mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, number uh, 7, 8, and 9 there. And it's those that didn't have the opportunity to hear. And you say, well, why is that such a big deal for us today, preacher? Because isn't that our job? Didn't Jesus say to his children, hey, um, go out there and tell them. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Go ye into all the world. If they don't know, that's on us. If they don't obey, that's kind of on them. As we look down that list, if you want to see how a man would be disobedient, turn over a couple of pages from Ephesians chapter 2 to Galatians chapter number 5, beginning verse 19. You'll see a list of something known as the works of the flesh. And any of these single actions would be those that would be found sinful before God. Notice this, uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, all of those things. You say, well, preacher, I'm pretty clear on all of those. I don't do any of those. That's great. Look at that last phrase. That last phrase is, and such like, and those things that would imitate those, those ideas, those things that would send us down those same paths. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, Peter would write by inspiration that those things would be evil works. How many of you have ever sinned against God? Okay, we're, we're, not, taking, we're not taking names. We're just, we're just asking this question. Now, don't answer this one out loud. And how many of you consider yourself evil? First Peter 4 would tell us doing those evil things, God would consider us evil. As a matter of fact, there are only two groups of people seen within the, the confines of the Bible. Those who are godly, those who are evil, those who are saved, those who are lost, those who are saints, and those who ain't. You've got to figure out which one you are. 
When I think of the word evil and I think of people who are evil, it may just be me, and that's all right. Sometimes it is. I think of a, a Bond villain. Do you think of a Bond villain? Who, who sits in his little chair and goes, <laughs> and he's, he's out to destroy the world? That's not how God thinks of those. God thinks of those men and women who are evil as those who are not following after goodness and holiness and righteousness. Oh, my idea of evil is so far out of bounds to, to what God has to say. We turn over to that last book, the book known as the book of Revelation. In chapter number 21, in verse number 8, and we go through a similar list as found in the works of the flesh. And then God adds an interesting one to the end of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, those types of people, all the way down to and, and all liars. Listen, in the world in which we live, lying's not that bad, is it? Not to our world. But we're not going to be judged by the world. To our God, it is that bad. It is that bad. It's the one who would not be telling the truth on those things. It would be the one who would be falsifying all of those things. My actions have consequences. You know, in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, we find out that God would say that the wages of sin, the natural payment for sin is death. Now, if you have your Bible open to Romans chapter 6 verse 23, I want you to look at this word. The wages of sin, singular. What he did not say there are the wages for our cumulative sins, which would find me looking at those individual actions that I, that I take place in and take part in every day and, and look at and say, am I crossing the line with God? Am I following after what he says? The wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life. Preacher, why don't you preach about hope and not fear? Okay, here's the, here's the hope. You don't have to go there. I'm not doomed to go to hell by God. As a matter of fact, grace and mercy would keep me out of there. The blood of Jesus Christ will keep me out of there. An obedient heart will keep me out of there. Do you know the difference between grace, uh, hope and and fear is perspective. When you baptize someone who is younger and, and young in the faith, many times they will say, I want to be baptized because I don't want to go to hell. Do you know that's a good reason to be baptized? Let's take a quick poll here. How many of y'all want to go to hell? That's a good answer. That's a great answer. You know, when that person grows a little in the faith and begins to understand a few things more, perhaps they change their answer a bit and they say, I, I was baptized so I could go to heaven. Let's ask that question. How many of y'all want to go to heaven? That's, a, that's just perspective. If you go to heaven, guess where you're not? You're not in hell. If you go to hell, then you're not in, in heaven. See, it's, it's all about perspective. 
Why don't you preach hope and not fear? Because sometimes looking at the other side of that coin and understanding what the punishment is is enough to have me reevaluate where I am. Imagine if you can, having your eyes close for the final time. Get in that pocket. Stay right there. Imagine if you can, your eyes close for the final time. Only to wake up in eternity. And it's dark. And there's a constant scream. And that scream is, is fearful at first. And the more you concentrate on it, the more you realize that it is blood-curdling and frightening. It's one of those that, uh, that, that scares you just to hear it. And if that, that screaming would just stop. Then I might figure out where I am. If, if that could stop, and if, that, if the smell could stop. Only to realize that screaming coming from you. Because you are now in a place... where you have chosen to be. Living a life that is not Savior-centered, that is self-centered. Living a life that is self-indulgent instead of obedient to the Savior. We find ourselves in a place known as hell that was ultimately designed for the devil and his angels. Understand some things about God as He is our Father. He offers us every chance to be obedient unto Him. He offers us every chance to access the grace and the mercy that is extended by His loving hand. He offers us every opportunity to be washed in that blood that was shed for us on that cross. But I have to do it. I have to be obedient. Would you be obedient to Him? Of all the things that He gives us, blessings beyond our comprehension on this side of eternity. And more importantly, with all of those spiritual blessings that are found within Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3, would you be obedient to God? Don't find yourself in that place. Come to Him. Hear what he has to say. Believe it. 
change your life. Repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the way, the one way, the only way to God. And through baptism, have your sins washed away. Be raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 4. And when you're raised to walk in that newness of life, keep on that direct path of faithfulness and holiness. And if you're subject to His invitation, let me encourage you to come right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.